Welcome to the Business of Business podcast. In this episode, Lewis talks to Crystal Khalil. We discuss her long career with Porsche as Director of Procurement, as well as her time with Coca-Cola. Crystal has released a book, Hard Workers Work Hard and Networkers Move Up. The book is full of practical advice for those who are looking to get promoted or move forward in their career. So go check it out. Enjoy. Good afternoon. I'm Crystal Khalil. I am the CEO and Chief Servant of Crystal Khalil and Associates and the Khalil Experience. I'm also the author of the international best-selling book, Hard Workers Work Hard and Networkers Move Up. And, um, and you're also a part of the Porsche team here in the U.S., is that right? Well, actually, as of Friday, January the 10th, I am a full-time entrepreneur. Wow. So I retired from Porsche on Friday after 19 years. Wow, that's incredible. Yes, thank you. Yeah. And so um, 19 years at Porsche, you also, you also had a, a bit of a stint at Coca-Cola as well, is that right? Yes, I took a, a brief hiatus from Porsche in 2007 and went to Coca-Cola for three years and then returned back to Porsche in January of 2011. Okay. So um, as of Friday, what's the plan now? What's, uh, what, what are you moving forward with? So I'm really excited. I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward, walking in my purpose. Um, so I've started the company Crystal Khalil and Associates in 2018. Okay. And it is um, two, two parts, corporate training and development for emerging leaders, leadership development. Um, and then on the other side, I have the Khalil experience, which is my um, B2C business where I offer executive coaching, mentoring um, to emerging leaders and entrepreneurs. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Um, so uh, in terms of um, the book, um, I, I've actually been reading it myself. Um, what, uh, what made you write the book? You know, what's the why behind uh, putting that together? Great question. I actually wrote the book to my former self okay. and things that um, I wish I had known starting out earlier in my career um, that if I had known earlier in my career, I would have advanced 10 times faster. Yeah. Um, little secrets to corporate America and understanding um, the power of your image and exposure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I, as I say, I've been reading it. it. It strikes me as quite a practical guide. There's a lot of, um, you, you reference a lot of outside sources. Um, uh, one of it, you, you, you mentioned you're a student of John Ma- Maxwell. Um, for those who don't know who are listening, could you talk a little bit about that and what, what, what that's done for you? Absolutely. I am a certified John Maxwell speaker, trainer, and coach. Um, I've been with the John Maxwell company uh, for about two years now. Uh, John is an amazing leader, and he is one of the um, leading authors on the title of leadership. And he teaches from a place of servant leadership, which is what attracted me to him. Um, He's written hundreds and hundreds of books and uh, traveled all over the world teaching leadership to corporate, government, and individuals. Okay. And so you're bringing an element, that into your, an ele- an element of that into your, your full-time role now, right? Yes, absolutely. About 
promote, uh, let's see, 2017, I was promoted to um, become the first African-American executive for Porsche Worldwide. Yeah. And I took that very seriously. Like, okay, I want to be the best leader that I can be. And I want to um, also build other leaders. So I started studying leadership, reading everything that I could find, listening yeah. to podcasts. And I was introduced in that search to the John Maxwell company. And I was so taken by the, um, the content that was provided on servant leadership that I became a student of John's and later became certified um, yeah. in his, his uh, content. And so leadership for me is just so important. So I've taken the elements of you know, what John teaches as well as I have several other mentors and coaches that have helped me along this journey plus my own life experiences. Yeah. And as a result, that's what you, that's what you uh, find in the book. Yeah, yeah. As I say, you, um, you have a lot of references in there. There's a lot of uh, research that's gone into it. Um, I wanted to talk about um, a particular reference, uh, Harvey Coleman and Pi. Yes. Um, uh, perhaps you could talk a little bit about that because uh, there's an interesting statistic which I, w I, I thought was quite, um, was quite interesting, um, which we can come on to. But could you talk a little bit about Pi? Absolutely. So Harvey Coleman wrote a very good book called Empowering Yourself, The Organizational Game Revealed. And in that book, he stated that your um, potential for growth was actually based on three elements, performance, image, and exposure. Yeah. And performance itself only accounts for about 10% of that pie. So you've got, if you look at the full pie, performance is 10%. Image is 30% and the remaining whopping 60% is exposure. Yeah. And when I first read that book and learned that, it was so eye-opening to me because I have experienced that throughout my life. And I learned that lesson, hard workers work hard, networkers move up early in my career. But to see it visually in a graph and to, to read the information behind it, it was so eye-opening for me. Yeah. And as I was getting to, the statistic is incredibly high. Um, there's the saying, you know, um, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, but that 10%, that and that really is the basis for your book, isn't it? That the hard workers work hard. Yes. 10%. But the networkers moving up yes. um, account for, you know, that, that process accounts for 60% of your ability to, to really get anywhere, I suppose. Yeah, I actually learned that early in my career, as I stated. Um, I started out, I've been in supply chain my entire career. Yeah. And right after college, um, I walked into my first corporate job, all excited with my degree and, you know, my, my shiny new suit, ready to, to just go in and take over the world. But what I did not expect was to feel so alone. Right. I was the only person of color, one of very, very few women. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would go to work every day wondering, you know, is anybody going to validate my thoughts today? Yeah. You know, like if I, trying to searching for that connection. Yeah. And so I went to my default, which was my belief system. What I learned from my hardworking parents, work hard, keep your nose clean, keep your head down, mind your business. You yeah. know what I mean? Exceed yeah. Yeah. 
expectations in everything that you do. So I went to my default and I was the hardest worker. I was killing it on my KPIs and I would always come in ahead of schedule and, you know, I was always leading the pack. However, other people were getting promoted over me and I could not understand that. Yeah. And so I approached my director and in frustration and ready to leave. And, and I told him, you know, I just didn't understand that. And he shared with me that he agreed. I was hardest worker. I was, you know, really doing well and exceeding performance. However, he said, people are hired, fired, promoted and demoted over drinks, golf, the water cooler conversations, lunch. And he's like, you don't, you don't build connections. And at that time, I didn't understand that, you know, it was like, I was frustrated. I was pissed. Like, you mean to tell me all this hard work uh, and, you know, it's never going to get me anywhere. But when I went home and I thought about it and I reflected on what he told me, I realized that he was right. And then the one common element for the people that were climbing the corporate ladder a lot faster than me was that they were great networkers. They made connections, they built relationships. And I wasn't doing that. I was going to work, doing my job and going home every day and not concerned with the exposure of it. And honestly, I could not change it at that corporation. Because when I tried to come out of my box and get out of my comfort zone, it was uncomfortable for me and it was uncomfortable for everybody around me. So I left that organization and when I left, my mantra became hard workers work hard and networkers move up. And I've incorporated that into my everyday career since and I have seen tremendous growth from it. Yeah. And to some degree, you're trying to pass that down, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, you know, to a hundred percent extent, I'm, I'm trying to pass that down. I'm sharing that with people because what I found is um, I'm not unique in that experience and in that belief system that, you know, we have to work twice as hard to get half. You got to keep your head down, your nose clean, you know, go to work, do your job. I'm not unique in that. And so when I found that, and, I, and I, I've mentored for years at Porsche, and um, I a lot of my mentees, I was finding they had a very similar experience because a lot of us are first-generation professionals, first-generation college students, right? And we weren't raised with the privilege to understand the power of networking. Yeah, yeah. I have made that my goal to share um, in my new business, in my book, um, in my future books, make sure that people understand the power of exposure. Because if you're the hardest worker, but nobody knows it, what difference does it make? Yeah. If you're the best business in the world, or best idea, but nobody knows about it, what difference can you make? So going back to um, your discussions with that director, would you recommend that people be bold who identify as having that same feeling right now that they're stuck in a job? They've not gotten anywhere. They feel not necessarily entitled, but maybe they feel like that they should have gone forward by now. They've worked hard, et cetera. How would you kind of recommend they go about doing that? What, what, was, the, what was the conversation like and, and how should somebody else approach that with, you know, with their boss or director? That's a great question. And really, like I said in the book, it starts with you looking inward because it's based on your own belief system. And, um, you know, we have to increase our lid to get to the next level. You only know what you know, what you know, and you don't know what you don't know. Right. So you have to look inwards and um, figure out how did I get here? And, And if you draw out that pie 
what percentage of your pie is performance versus image versus exposure? So early in my career, if I had drawn my pie, it was about 80% performance. Yeah. 80% performance and, and very little exposure in, in image. And so draw out your pie and figure out where are you lacking? And the, the other key thing um, that my conclusion on top of what, what Harvey Coleman and his research approved is the pie is very, is very delicate. You, can, it, you have to find a balance, right? So you can be overexposed. Yeah. You can be underexposed. You can, your image can be overexposed or underexposed. So it's very delicate because there are some people that all they do is network, but their work does not back up the networking, right? Yeah. And so there's another title for those types of people. Yeah. Or, or you're getting a lot of exposure, but it's negative exposure. It's not positive exposure. So you have to be very um, careful with that pie and those elements of the pie. So the first thing I would tell you to do is look at what does your pie look like today? and figure that out. The other thing I've tied together in the book is um, I learned a lifelong lesson uh, probably in my transition between uh, Coca-Cola and Porsche. Um, I had a job offer from another company here in Atlanta. I was not looking for a job at the time. The recruiter found me on LinkedIn and heard, you know, through the, it's a small network of people in supply chain, heard great things about me. And they, they contacted me. I interviewed for the job. I turned down the first offer because it was about the same as what I was making at Coca-Cola. Yeah. And then they made a counter offer to me. And it was much better, better, you know, better benefits, everything. So I went into my director's office to resign from Coca-Cola. And she asked me to, to give her a minute. She asked me to, you know, give her some time not to accept the offer just yet. Yeah. And later that day, the VP of our department came to my office and he said, Crystal, I hear you have a dilemma. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. And, you know, I immediately started apologizing. I wasn't looking for a job. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, let me explain something to you. And he drew on the piece of paper the nine grid that I have in my book. Yeah. And he explained to me that if the y-axis is your potential and the x-axis is your performance, right? Everybody is placed somewhere on that grid during the annual review process. And the high performers with high potential are the superstars. Those are the people that the organization is looking to promote and looking for immediate growth because they see the potential in those individuals. And he explained to me that I was one of those superstars. Yeah. And he um, explained that, you know, when I go to, if I were to accept the position at the other organization, I'm starting all over as an unknown. Yeah. At Coca-Cola, I, I had been identified as a superstar. And he wrote a number on a piece of paper and slid it across the desk to me and said, if you accept this, um, the negotiations are effectively ended. I will not go back and forth with the other organization, but realize you're still a superstar here. At yep. the new organization, you have to prove yourself. Yep. And I accepted his, I accepted the, the counter. And when I went to decline the other company, they came back with a third offer, <laughs> even better. Yep. 
But I declined because my integrity was worth more than the additional compensation. And I decided to stay at Coca-Cola. The very next day, Porsche called. And I was like, hey, I told you I wouldn't (laughs) go back. (laughs) I wouldn't take the other offer, but I wasn't expecting this blessing. So I I did end up going back to, to Porsche. And once I became a leader at Porsche, we followed the same process with the nine grid. Yeah. I thought that was so um, interesting to me. And then, I, you know, being the head of procurement, I'm also responsible for HR um, procurement. So I've got involved in the SHRM and yeah. the organization for HR. And I learned that this is a common practice amongst organizations to evaluate talent based on the nine grid. Yeah. But whoever shares from a leadership standpoint, whoever shares that information with their employees. Yeah, not a lot. Right? Do they tell you where you are on that nine grid? They do not. And I asked that question to some of my, my HR friends, like, hey, why don't you tell people that they're in this high performer, low potential box or where they are in this? And, and the response that I got was, who wants to tell somebody who's exceeding work expectations that they have no potential? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Right? So I, that, to me, that was eye-opening because, you know, it's okay. It's nothing wrong with being a hard worker. You've, even in that 10%, you've got to give 100% effort in that 10% of the pie, right? Hard work is mandatory. However, um, you know, if you want to be in that hard worker box on the, on the, on the nine grid um, because you're, you're retiring or you have other interests or, you know, you strictly want to work the nine to five and, and you're not looking to grow in, in, the, in the corporation, that's great. That's a, good, that's a win-win for you and the organization. That's right. If you're in that box, but you have you have a desire to move up in the organization and you feel slighted because you haven't been promoted or you feel like you're unappreciated, then some that conversation needs to take place. You need to understand how do you increase your potential. And, and that takes us back to the pie. Image and exposure, yeah. image plus exposure equals potential. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to understand that and put those elements together to increase your potential in the organization. Yeah. So I, um, I read recently that something like 66% of Americans are checked out at work. Mm-hmm. They're waiting, to your point, for the phone call to say, hey, come, come work for us. Yeah. Um, would you say that um, the lack of... Um, you know, a decent review and a lack of a decent uh, pathway to growth, to promotion, et cetera, is part of that problem? Absolutely. Um, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say to you that while there are no shortage of titles, yeah. there is definitely a shortage of leaders. Right. Leaders build other leaders. Leaders um, have those honest conversations with their staff, their talent, to help them to understand where they are in the organization and what's the next steps for them and help them to get there. Yeah. And I think that there is a, definitely a shortage of leaders and that, those commun- that, that communication is not taking place today. Yeah. And um, that's, that's one of the components of the leadership development um, that I offer through Crystal Khalil and Associates is how do we um, take subject matter experts that have been promoted to a leadership position yeah. 
and yeah. give them the leadership skills necessary to help people grow within the organization because growing people grow organizations. And yeah. what happens is when you have 66% of your organization checked out, what is that doing for your bottom line? Yeah. What is that doing for your revenue? People need to understand. And in those honest conversations um, can be the, that could be the, the fire, the kickstart to get them to the next level. Even if it's not a promotion, maybe it's a lateral move. It's yeah. something different. But if you are in your comfort zone every day when you go to work and you're not doing anything different, you're not challenging yourself, you are not growing. And therefore, you are not growing the organization. Yeah, yeah. So on, um, on the flip side, as an employee uh, within a company, what, you talked about mentorship and mentees and that kind of thing. Um, what, uh, what should I be looking for? Should I be looking to get a mentor within the company? And if I, if I can't find one, um, is that sort of a good time to think about leaving if there's no growth and there's nobody to, to kind of uh, help you know, build you up? Is that a good indicator of maybe it's time to move on? So mentors and sponsors are critical. Yeah. And um, mentors are people that show you the way, um, people that have, have gone the path that you're looking to go, um, have already achieved what it is you're trying to achieve, and they can show you the path of how to get there. Um, sometimes they come from within your organization, but also sometimes they come external to your organization. Um, you have to put yourself in networks and out, get outside of your comfort zone so that you can find those mentors. And the key is connecting to people who are already doing what it is you want to do or, or have already achieved that. So a lot of times um, my mentees are, they're the highest one in their classroom. Yeah. You know, they're the one that everybody comes to for advice and they're the ones that that um, are the, the um, senior people in their, like even in their family. They're the first generation college student. They're the one that that's been successful. So they don't have anybody to ask these questions and they don't have um, that network that can that supportive network that can give them the sound advice for navigating corporate America. So that's key. You want to put yourself in those circles. And if you can't find it internally, then you look externally to um, the industry associations for whatever your profession is. Um, Meetup groups. You know, you get out there and put yourself um, in position to find those mentors that can show you the way. Yeah. The key is sponsorship. Sponsors speak for you when you're not in the room. Right. They are the influencers within the organization. And it is very easy to spot those people because they're the ones that are moving up through the organization. They're the ones that are um, making change and you can see that they have influence, right? So I have never um, had anyone turn me down when I've reached out to them and just say, hey, can I have 15, 30 minutes of your time so I can learn more about you and how you navigated, you know, through corporate America. It, just sit down and talk with you. People love to talk about themselves. Yeah. People love themselves, right? Yeah. So those are the people you want to connect with and build a relationship. The important part about that is being authentic and transparent. 
A lot of times people are, you know, we're guarded. We, it, it's uncomfortable for us to have those conversations, but you can find common ground with anybody if you're just authentic and transparent because we all have the same basic needs, right? And so if you just talk to people from a humble, honest place, transparent place, you can build a connection. And that person may not be your mentor, but they may be the person that can tap you on the shoulder for an opportunity when it comes up in the organization. Yeah. They may be the person that's sitting in the boardroom when your name comes up and they can say something kind about you or they can say something, you know, inspirational. So those you want to build those those sponsors internally and externally as well, because they may be the ones tapping you from another organization to come for, for an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. You um, that's a great sort of segue, because in your book, you talk about the tap and I hadn't really thought about this. But what, what, you're, what you really suggest is that if you're not getting tapped on the shoulder to say, hey, why don't you apply for this role over there or apply for that job, then there's something missing, right? That, that's really what you're getting to is that in as much as you can apply for a job, having somebody say, I'm, I'm kind of recommending you or I'm pushing you to at least try that you're missing out on something. Absolutely. I, you know, we've all met the serial applicants, right? People who apply for everything. And sometimes you wonder what is it that they really want to do, but they really want to grow. And so they're just applying and, and applying for all different types of positions. Yeah. And what I, when, when I have the opportunity to mentor those, those people, what I explain to them is if you're in an organization, particularly in your department and a position becomes available, if your boss or another leader or influencer um, in the organization is not tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, did you see that opening? Are you interested? I think you'd be great for that, that job, that yeah. position. It's likely not yours. Right. Because every time a position is posted, um, the leader either has an idea who they want in that position or um, they know that they want somebody external, they need new blood or whatever the case may be, right? They have an idea. And if you are a high potential employee, you don't necessarily have to be the most qualified employee yeah. because it's aptitude and attitude. And those with um, high potential can be trained to do anything from a, from a standpoint of growth. So you may not have to check off every single line item on that job description to get that opportunity if you have high potential. Yeah. So it's important to build that, build those relationships and those sponsors, again, that will tap you on the shoulder when an opportunity is available. And yeah. that's so. Yeah. And I think that's, you, you raise a point there because I think that's also important for females. Um, research showed that, Females are far less likely to apply for a job if they don't if they don't feel they meet 100% of the requirements. Whereas males will, and on average through research, show that they will tend to apply even though you know maybe they're 75, 80% of the way there. So you you you're pushing for more uh, of an approach of if if you feel the job is right and you've had that tap to to go for it, right? Absolutely. Go for it. And, and for me, um, what, one of the things that I explain to my mentees is it's more about leadership than it is qualifications. Yeah. It's more about potential than it is qualifications. Because, um, again, you don't have to be the most qualified if you, if you have the right potential. How is it that CEOs go from company to company, industry to industry, 
right? They don't know everything about, they go from oil and gas to food and drug. They, yeah. <laughs> right? they don't can't possibly know everything about that industry. But what you do know is leadership. And what you do know is great leaders hire subject matter experts and very, very smart people to make them look good, right? So as a leader, um, you can go from industry to industry. You can go from department to department, from job to job, because great leadership skills will help you and establish you anywhere you go. Yeah, yeah. We've talked um, quite a bit about being a mentee um, and something you don't read too much about are the benefits of being a mentor. You know, we, if we're thinking about being a mentor, we have to think about the time we have to give to other people and, of course, the feeling of passing down expertise. But from your experience, what are, what are the benefits that come from mentoring other people? For, it's a tremendous um, feeling of... Um, I appreciate that people trust in me and that I'm able to to give to them. And I also get great joy from seeing the fruit in their lives. So seeing when they get promoted and they get those opportunities. And also the, uh, you know, I can can mentor one-on-one, but when I teach somebody and I raise up a new leader and then they go out and they spread that, in their family, in their community, to their friends, then it's exponential growth in the community. And, you know, we have a, especially, you know, people of color, women, we have a lot of ground to make up, right? To get to the point where we are adequately represented in these executive leadership positions. Because the higher you go, the thinner it gets when it it comes to the population of people of color and women. So I get a tremendous amount of um, excitement and um, joy when I see people flourish and take the information that I'm sharing with them and put it into action in their lives and then become the leader um, that then gives back, pay it forward, pay it forward to the next group. So it's very um, rewarding and satisfying for me personally. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, minorities being a female. What, what's that been like for you over the last, well, 19 years plus? Um, About 30 years in, in yeah. America. Um, I have consistently been um, either the only person of color, the only woman, sometimes the only American at the table, right? Yeah. And um, so much so that I've not noticed it over time. It just became the norm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sometimes intimidating. Sometimes it's hard to break into the, the good old boy network. Yeah. Um, it's, it's difficult, you know, and you have to find your allies. And I have had some amazing men um, that have sponsored me and mentored me and and gave me the opportunity at, at to sit at the table. And yeah. I also had to challenge myself to be confident enough to speak up in those rooms, right. you know, because the it's it's very, very difficult. It's it, um, when you don't feel that you are part of the in crowd sometimes, you know what I mean? To have the courage to, to stand up, have the courage to um, to say what's right to to be heard at the table so it has it has been a challenge um but it's a rewarding challenge yeah do you feel over the over the last 30 years things are improving for 
females and, and people of color overall? Or do you think not a lot of, pro- would you say not a lot of progress or where, where would you say we are? I, I would say that we have made some progress, but unfortunately not the progress that I would like to see. The yeah. numbers still don't reflect right. um, that, you know, if you look at the population as a whole, it does not match what you see in the ranks of corporate America. Um, yeah. It just does not match. And um, I think that as uh, women and people of color, we really need to do more to, to um encourage one another, inspire. Once you open the door, hold that door open for those coming behind you. And that that's very important to me. I feel I, you know, I achieved certain rank within the organization. I made sure my door was always open to anybody who wanted to talk to me or get feedback from me. Um, so I think that's important for us to do it. Recently, I heard a, a, a survey um, that 92 out of 95 women were, um, were asked to take a survey and the question was, if you could pick a man or a woman for your next boss in your next assignment, what would you choose? 92 out of 95 women selected a man. Right. Which blew my mind. Oh. And so what that says to me, if we won't even choose one another, how can we expect men to choose us? Yeah. So we have to work on making sure that we are better leaders and we are um, courageous and bold enough to um, pay it forward and and build other leaders behind us and help them to grow within the organization. Yeah. Because at the end of last year, California had passed uh, legislation that required at least one female on the board. There was a big rush to employ females. So we have at one end, we have government trying to um, almost enforce better diversity, but that doesn't always work when it comes to building culture and that kind of thing, having something forced upon you. So, so you raised some good points there about um, raising each other up. Um, I guess that brings me on to a little bit about culture because you mentioned earlier about authenticity and and being your best self and that kind of thing. Some people might be sat there thinking, well, that's great, but in my office, there's politics. Mm. And I'm sure you've experienced that over the last 30 years. How how does somebody navigate um, being their true self with playing the game? You mentioned the boys club, that kind of thing. And how have you kind of gone through that over the last three decades? So it's important to to note that, you know, I've, I've heard so many of my mentees, you know, complain about the culture, right? Yeah. But we have to understand that the culture is made of the people. The people build the culture. The, it's, the company is just a mythical thing on paper, right? <laughs> the culture belongs to the people. The people create the culture. So you have to be responsible for the part you play in building the culture, right? Yeah. And Make sure that, you know, you are challenging yourself to be a part of the solution, be the change that you want to see and showing up every day in your best self. What, what, but what normally tends to happen is people make the assessment that the culture is this or the culture is that, and they shut down. Yeah. They become the zombie. Right. And they're at 66% that is just, just riding out time and collecting a paycheck and 
you have if you're going to be in an organization and you want to grow and you you personally want to grow and you want to see that company grow it's important that you become a problem solver you become a part of the solution and when you show up and be your best self um things start to happen things start to align opportunities start to show up and you start to figure out that people are just people you know People are just people. Get to know them. I I remember um, early in my career at Porsche, I had a, a colleague um, that I was working with, and he was very, um, very hard for me to get to know, like a tough nut to crack. He wasn't mean, um, but he just was kind of standoffish, and we were on a project together, and on top of it, he was about 6'5", bald, white guy with like r- real light eyebrows. You know, he just he fit the, the typical, um, uh, you know, white guy, Aryan nation type. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just couldn't, I, it was just, it, it was uncomfortable for both of us. Yeah. And we happened to be on a um, project team together and we were in Germany and went to dinner. And we had the most amazing conversation. And I found out that he grew up in a little small town where there were no black people in his town. Right. He'd never been around. He just was uncomfortable and awkward and didn't know. But he was curious about me. He just felt uncomfortable. Yeah. I was curious about him. I felt uncomfortable. But we both had small kids. We were married. We were. It was our first trip to Germany. And yeah. so we just connected on a different level. Yeah became one of my best buds but you know it's just we have to understand people are just people and sometimes um everything is not aimed at you personally sometimes people are just having a bad day sometimes people aren't feeling good sometimes people are um they their lid is has been crushed and they are even though they're in a leadership position they don't know how they can grow in the organization and they're a zombie yeah right yeah (laughs) So just show up with your best self and be positive and be a problem solver and you will start to see opportunities line up for yourself. If even if it's not at that organization, you'll start to see opportunities materialize externally as well. Yeah. You, um, you raised some great points there and and to be the kind of devil's advocate, um, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, well, this is great crystal, but I'm an introvert. (laughs) I, I can't possibly go up and talk to somebody. I'm quite happy here at my desk, but I, I really want to. And when we first talked, you mentioned, uh, I can't remember the exact phrase, but you, you uh, something like you're a, a trying extrovert. I can't remember the exact phrase you used. Um, but um, to me, that would, that would kind of represent for um, a lot of people, the biggest hurdle is that first step. So do you have any recommendations for overcoming that as somebody who is a recovering introvert? Yes, I, I'm a recovering introvert, actually. <laughs> I prefer to be at home in my pajamas with a book in my hand. <laughs> but over the years, I have, um, I have, it's a muscle that you build. Networking is a muscle that you build. And you build that muscle by getting out of your comfort zone and opening yourself up with transparency and authenticity to meet new people and try things. And what has helped me is um, I start from a place of service. 
So if you're an introvert, you know, for you, the thought is likely, you know, that's smoothing. I don't, I'm not going to talk to people just for the sake of talking to people. I'm not a, a brown noser or whatever, the, you know, the, the, whatever the saying is. But if you, if you come from a good place where you just want to serve others, that's where you will start to build those connections. That will help you to build that network. So start with volunteering. Okay. Find some volunteer organizations um, externally that, that, you know, align with your own personal goals and values. Yeah. That will get you out and start building some external connections and then start volunteering internally. When, when a project comes up and they need somebody, raise your hand. Be the first to raise your hand. If there's business resource groups in your organization, get involved. If there's volunteer activities in your organization, get involved. And what that does is you start to build relationships cross-departmentally, not just in your department. Because sometimes you may have reached a lid in your department. You may not have a great leader. But if you start to meet people in other departments or in other business units, you start to build those relationships where you can find mentors and sponsors that will tap you for other opportunities in the organization. Yeah. The other beautiful thing is you start to learn what's going on in the organization. I speak to everybody from the security guard to the cleaning staff to the president of the company. Yeah. You'd be amazed what people know and what they can tell you, the, the underground, right? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. as a leader, um, a lot of times you get, you get stuck in that iceberg effect, right? If you just stay with other people in your circle, you don't know what's going on on the ground floor. But if you maintain connections with everybody, you learn about things before yeah. the masses do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it was quite interesting when I, um, when I was reading your book, um, you know, Coca-Cola tens of thousands or is it over a hundred thousand employees? 75,000 at the time I was there. Yeah. And Porsche 200, which I, well, I was really surprised by very small, lean. And that obviously doesn't include the dealerships, right? but very small, lean organizations. So what was that like working between, I imagine two very different cultures as a result, right? Yes, uh, that's a good question. It was absolutely two very different cultures. At the time when I left uh, Porsche, it was a little over 200 employees. Right now they have probably more than 500. Okay. Still a very small organization in the grand scheme of things. They're extremely lean and efficient. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a culture shock going from Porsche to Coca-Cola because Porsche although the brand name is huge, right? Yeah, yeah. Still a family owned business at the end of the day. And it was very much felt like a family where yeah. everybody knows your name. It was like the bar cheers, right? Everybody knows your name. Yeah. And you know, you can walk into the president's office and he knows you. So it's a, it's still very much like that today, a very, um, uh, family oriented culture where everybody knows everybody and there's no, you cannot hide. Yeah. Cannot hide in that culture. Um, everybody's doing multiple jobs. Right. Whereas Coca Cola, it was very. Um, uh, you could be an individual contributor, and you know you could get lost in the hierarchy and the bureaucracy of the organization. Yeah. And it took me probably the better part of eighteen months to start building those connections where I could figure out how to get things done because there were layers within the organization of management and executives. And I, you know, whereas I knew I could just walk into the president's office, 
John Brock wouldn't have had a clue who I was at, at Coca-Cola Enterprises <laughs> if I walked in his office, right? Yeah. So it was very, very different. Um, but the key for both organizations was getting to know the people who do the work, you know, getting out there and figuring out. So at Coca-Cola, when I was trying to figure out how to get things done, I'd be on the elevator and like, hey, how you doing? What department do you work in? Yeah. What do you guys do? You know, let's have lunch one day or let's have, let's meet for coffee. And then I would start putting together the pieces of the puzzle and then I could get stuff done when nobody else could get it done because I knew who to call and I had built those relationships to get things done. Yeah. Is that because um, uh, two very different organizations and I, uh, when I come to um, you know, advice for those starting out, um, you know, those thinking, do I go work for a larger, larger organization? Am I going to be a small cog in a large mechanism or do I go work somewhere smaller? Um, what advice would you give for somebody considering that and what would prepare them for working in both those environments? Mm -hmm. You have to figure out what works best for you because honestly, it's just like going to college, right? Yeah. Are you, you do better at a small university or a large university? Um, how well are how how well do you network and build connections? And where are you most comfortable? And I would I tell like I, I do a lot of speaking at universities, and I and I tell um, the students you should be researching the organizations just like they're researching you. You do yeah. your homework as well. You don't just accept the job because they make an offer. You yeah. want to make sure that it's a comfortable environment for you and that it's an environment where you can flourish and grow and that the resources are there um, to help you develop yourself personally and to help you navigate through that organization. So you want to ask those questions in your interview. Um, you want to do your research, look on Glassdoor, look on, look on LinkedIn, see who you know that works at that organization and make calls and find out if that's going to be a good fit for you. Because yeah. it should be a good fit both ways, good fit for the organization, but also a good fit for you. So if you're from a small town, you went to a small, uh, small college or university, and now suddenly you're in an organization with a hundred thousand people. It's going to be like going into the going to the big city from the country, right? <laughs> and you're going to be a fish out of water. So you have to you have to figure out what works best for you. And sometimes that's trial and error. You yeah. know, for me going to Coca Cola, I realized this is an amazing organization, and I learned so much because. Because that's the benefit of being in a large organization. You've got world-class, you know, systems and you've got global and you're talking to people all over the world. And I learned so much, but I felt like that wasn't the best environment for me personally to flourish and grow. I felt, I feel better in a smaller environment. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank, thanks for answering that one. Um, I want to come back to uh, Pi for a second because uh, we didn't touch too much on image. Oh, yeah. um, there's a lot, yeah, always a lot of debate about um, image, particularly as you mentioned in the book about uh, things like how we dress and how we, how we present ourselves. Always a controversial subject. You know, in Silicon Valley, where I was uh, living close to for a while, you know, the culture there, flip-flops, T-shirts, skateboards, that kind of thing. And obviously in other organizations, the suit, that kind of thing. And always a lot of backers and forwards in the press about, you know, how, uh, how we present ourselves and how that ultimately presents the company. 
you you bring up an interesting subject though about an avatar or avatar mm-hmm. um can you touch on that a little bit uh because i, I I'll, I'll let you speak on it but I, I found that quite interesting yeah so every company has its own image right yep. and what i recommend is that you create an avatar for the company that you work for so for example for me Porsche is sophisticated, it's, it's innovative, it's got clean lines, it's very professional, it's luxury, right? Yep. So for me, if I were to dress Porsche, she'd, very, she'd be very sleek, she'd have on a designer suit, right? Yep. She'd have on nice frame glasses, she'd be well put together. Yep. So I'm, that with that image being um, my avatar of Porsche, that's how I show up to Porsche every day. Yeah. If I were to show up like an employee from Silicon Valley with flip-flops and jeans, I'd be out of place, right? Vice versa, if I were to show up at a startup in Silicon Valley dressed like Porsche, I'd I'd stand out. I would not fit in. So one of the things that I um, mentor the students in is, you know, make sure you understand the image of that organization. And that's part of your research. Will you fit in there? Uh, Particularly um, for um, people of color, right? So some of my students go to historically black college and universities, and you're taught to have all this pride in who you are. And, you know, you've got your hair, you might have a big Afro or, you know, your braids or whatever. And you want to go and work for a big firm that may be very, very traditional and, you know, and they, and they don't want to give up themselves. So one of the things I say to them is as long as you are working for someone else, you have to play that game. Right. You have to be a part of that culture. You have to fit in. You definitely cannot get in the door being revolutionary. Right. You've got to get in the door. You've got to build trust before you can start bringing your whole self to the office. Right. And so you've got to play the game to get in the door. If you don't want to, um, if you want to be uniquely you and everything, then start your own business. Then perhaps you have an innovative or entrepreneurial spirit. So start your own business where you can show up as yourself, uniquely you. There's nothing wrong with that either. But understand every company has their own culture. They have their own image. And if you want to be a part of that, you have to assimilate to a certain degree. And then once you get in, then once you build trust, it's okay. And, you know, a few years ago at Porsche, I was going through change and I I cut my hair off into a mohawk and dyed it red. (laughs) (laughs) I I read that, baby. I was going to ask you, but I thought I'll wait for you to bring it up. I dyed my hair and cut it into a mohawk. I was going through a midlife crisis or something. <laughs> but while, you know, they were very tolerant with me, you know, I knew it didn't fit the, co- the corporate right. culture, but they also knew me and they knew the quality of work that I produced and they knew who I was and I had trust within the organization. So they didn't hold it against me. But yeah. when I was ready to go to the next level in my career, I knew I had to come back and be a little bit more conservative because it would be externally representing Porsche in the community and Porsche has a look. Yeah. Excellent. I want to round out by coming back to the book and some of the things that you're now doing. Um, As I say, in the book is very practical. So I think at the end of each chapter, I'm not sure if it's all of them, but you have almost like a questionnaire. I call it like a self audit. Yes. Um, 
And um, I'll let you explain, but I would think that's probably a good place to start is to audit yourself, right? Absolutely. Um, so can you just talk a bit about some of those um, uh, questionnaires and, and really what you're trying to achieve by getting people to go through them? Yes, yeah, so there, there, there's a, um, a graph in the book that I call the cycle of growth, right? And it starts with understanding who you are. And like I said, the only person that you can change is yourself, yeah. right? So you have to do that self audit. And that's exactly what the questions are designed for, to help you do a self audit. And it's interesting, you know, I've received so much um, feedback on the book, fantastic feedback. But one of the things is there are people that tell me, I just can't answer those questions. Right. I, I get, I read the questions and I get stuck. And I'm like, wow, it's, it, you know, it's been eye opening for me. But I would tell them, that means you need to spend some time reflecting on that. You really need to think about that um, because we, we've become drones over time, right? Like you said, the zombies. Yeah. And the questions are designed to make you sit down and really think, how did I get here? You know, and take responsibility for where you are today and what do you need to do to have a better tomorrow? Right. And so that's what each question, it takes you through the cycle of growth. The book takes you through the cycle of growth. You first do that examination of how did I get here? What, what, what did I learn as a child um, from my parents? Right. What did I learn from my circle of influence up to the age of 12? Yeah. Um, looking at my, what I call now is like doing a mirror check. You know, who am I surrounding myself with today, right? And, and what am I learning from them? Um, are, you know, am I the highest one in my class? Do I need to go out and look for another classroom where I can be challenged and learn? And then once you do that self-check and make a decision to be intentional about your growth, right? Then we start to pour in on the growth and you start to look at the ideas that we have. If I look back on how many great ideas that I had that I let die because of self-sabotage. Right. Right. Um, Because that's what happens when we start having these great ideas and we start being intentional about our growth. um, Self-sabotage kicks in because your, your, your mind is like an autopilot and its goal is to keep you safe. So it will lie to you. It will scare you. It will do whatever it can to get you to come back to your comfort zone every day where you're just a zombie. Right. So, you know, we self-sabotage, but then also we get sabotaged by our circle by the people we surround ourselves with, because we typically surround ourselves with people that have similar belief systems. And so, you know, they want the best for you or they care for you. They judge you or they provide advice based on their own limiting beliefs and thoughts. And so that, that sabotage. And so the book, the questions in the book there are to help you to realize that sabotage, recognize it for what it is and past it. Because when you know better, you have the opportunity to take the actions to do better. Yeah. Now, we don't always do that, but we have the opportunity to take actions to do better. And that, that requires uh, discipline to push through, even when you're failing, even when you don't know what the end result is going to be. You know, I'm also a recovering perfectionist. So okay. even when you don't have all the answers, yeah. Um, you have to keep moving forward. So it's designed to help you along that path, that cycle of growth, to actually push through that terrifying 
um, place in life that we all encounter um, when you're growing. Yeah. The difference between successful and unsuccessful people are the successful people push through that terror barrier every day. They are constantly doing things that other people aren't willing to do, that normal people, common people are not willing to do. So, that, and that requires uh, courage. That requires discipline to keep pushing through even when we don't know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'll round up by asking um, what your plans are for 2020. I, I, I thought I saw the other day your, your keynote speaking somewhere. Where, where can people find you throughout this year? Yes, I'll, I'll be doing several keynotes throughout the year. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Um, crystalkhalil.com is my website, and I'll, I'll have postings of where I'll be. I'm also on LinkedIn at Crystal Khalil, Instagram and Facebook um, at Crystal Khalil Speaks. Yeah. Um, and I also have my mentorship program called the Khalil Experience. Yeah. So that's the website, the Khalil Experience, to learn more about how you can work with me um, in a group setting or one-on-one -on -one to accelerate your life um, yeah. to the next stage. And um, I'll round up by asking, uh, at what point should I come to you for to, to work with you? What, what, what's, uh, what's a typical customer for you right now? Well, I know it's early, but... Yes. <laughs> So, you know, I've, my, my customers range, but it's typically, like I said, the person that is um, in that hard worker trap and looking to grow, um, uh, they tend to typically be the parallelpreneurs that, you know, are, are in corporate, but they have vision and ideas of being an entrepreneur themselves. Okay. Um, they're the, the, the highest in their class and they're looking for um, someone who's been there, done that, and can provide that leadership and advice to them they may, they may not have sponsorship or mentorship right now in their career um, so they typically be they typically tend to be those that are looking for someone to uh, help them get to the next level in their business or in their career yeah excellent well I will post links to everything that you've just mentioned including to the book um, again thank you for the book I did I did genuinely enjoy reading it and I, I got you know quite a bit out of it which thankfully we've been able to talk about today um, so yeah, it was a surprise. I didn't realize you left Porsche, but, um, I wish you all the best in this new endeavor and, uh, maybe we can get back together sometime in the future and see how it's going. But, um, apart from that, I want to thank you very much for taking the time, uh, to speak to me today. And, um, yeah, I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I was, I was really looking forward to this one. Me too. Thank you so much. I appreciate you reading the book. I appreciate the podcast and I look forward to continue our relationship.